listeners, welcome to the AC Podcast. My name is Troy, but your host for today's episode will be Steve Kim. Today's conversation is about the persecuted church. It's easy for us to let our immediate church context define what the church, capital C, looks like around the world. This is particularly so for those of us who live in a country where being a Christian is relatively easy. Today, Apologetics Canada brings you an eye-opening interview. Listen in on the conversation Steve had with Reverend Gary Stagg, the Executive Director of Open Doors Canada. They discuss Open Doors 2024 World Watch List, an annual list produced by Open Doors to rank the top 50 most dangerous countries to be a Christian. They talk about a number of notable countries mentioned on the list and what is going on for the churches in those countries. Just as a reminder, the Can I Trust the Bible Apologetics Candidate Conference is coming up March 1st and 2nd in Abbotsford, B.C. at Northview Community Church. To register or find out more information, head to apologeticscandidate.com slash conference 24 BC. But kicking off that weekend, we will actually be holding the Can I Trust the Bible premiere. We will be showing both episodes of the series that our conference theme is based around. So February 29th, 7 p.m., Columbia Bible College in Abbotsford, B.C. This is your only opportunity on the weekend to see the entirety of the series. You won't get this at the conference. So make sure you come to both. Head to apologeticscanada.com slash events to register and find out more information. Now, let's get to the podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the AC Podcast. I am Steve, your host for the day, and I have a very special guest here on the line with me, all the way from Mississauga, Ontario. Before I introduce him to you, I think it's really important that we keep a a broader eye. Uh, And what I mean by that is, uh, living as a Christian, sometimes we can sort of get into our, all we can see is what's immediately around us, the church groups or the sort of the Christian bubble that is immediately around us. Um, And that can sort of shape and influence the way we think about the church in general, but I think it's really helpful to see what's going on around the world. And I think this episode, this interview will be uh, quite eye-opening for you in that way, or ear-opening as the case may be. Uh, So I have on the line with me all the way from uh, Ontario, Gary Stagg, or I should say Reverend Gary Stagg uh, from Open Doors Canada. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Yeah. So you are executive director of Open Doors Canada. Now that is what you do professionally, but without uh, getting too philosophical, who is Gary Stagg? Can you just kind of introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah. Well, I've been in full-time ministry for about, um, hate to say it's like over 40 years (laughs) dating myself, but um, I've been with Open Doors Canada for the last eight years. Before that, I was a pastor in Montreal, in Regina, in Ottawa, and then almost 28 years ago, moved to Mississauga to pastor. Okay. And so I've lived in Mississauga now for close to 28 years. Mm -hmm. So I'm married and have Mm -hmm. two adult children who both live in the Toronto area. And um, so, yeah, that's who I am. Mm -hmm. Okay, awesome. Uh, Now, Open Doors... Canada. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about, I understand there's Open Doors International, and then there's Open Doors Canada. Could you tell us a little bit about the work of Open Doors generally, and then Open Doors Canada specifically? So what do you guys do? What are you about? Sure. Open. It started 
1955 with a guy by who's become known as Brother Andrew, a young Dutch missionary at the time who felt the call of God to go behind the Iron Curtain to smuggle Bibles. You probably heard the book God's Smuggler. Uh, it's all about him. And um, he that that's how the ministry began. You know, there were people that were being de- denied access to the scriptures and in the Soviet Union. And so, he was smuggling Bibles. And uh, so, from those humble beginnings, uh, the work has grown now to where we work in more than 70 countries around the world, just mm-hmm. really bringing, still bringing scriptures and uh, Christian materials, but we help in practical ways as well, wherever the church needs help. We help in socioeconomic uh, development so that they can, um, you know, start a business uh, to keep themselves and their families uh, alive. We do uh, discipleship training, leadership training. We advocate for them in different parliaments around the world. We um, we do, tra- uh, I said trauma counseling already, I think I did, right? Yeah. You know, that's the work of our, I'm ta- most of that that I've mentioned is the work of our field, which is uh, we have field offices all over the, all over the world, but we have also 25 what we call development offices. And so now you're with Canada. Open Doors Canada is a development office of Open Doors International. Our job is to raise awareness of what's happening in the world of Christian persecution mm-hmm. and to uh, rally prayer support for these brothers and sisters around the world who suffer high levels of persecution every day for their mm-hmm. faith in Jesus. That's in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that's that's quite the nutshell. Um, and like I said at the beginning, uh, one thing that I really appreciate about the work that you do is that sort of the broader view of the church. Um, and I've been following Open Doors Canada actually on Instagram and, and whatnot for some time now. And I've kind of uh, followed or followed you guys around that way. Uh, now, there is something that you guys do every year. You you come up with this thing called the World Watch List, and I believe for 2024, or I, I guess um, that came out just a few weeks ago, officially, where you rank different countries. So tell us a little bit about World Watch List. What is it, and how how did this get even started? Actually, this is the 31st year that we have published the World Watch List. Mm -hmm. And it started just because of a a felt need uh, to keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening around the world when it comes to Christian persecution. It really helps to direct our resources and where we work and so on. It's according to the research then, you know. And so we have a very rigorous arm of open doors called the World Watch Unit, and that is strictly a research um, group. It's um, it's it's in in Europe, and they work in the field with our field partners um, throughout the calendar year. They also do a lot of research, you know, behind the desk and so on. But they they basically are just wanting to keep their finger on the pulse of what's happening with Christian persecution around the world, so that it can direct our work. It can direct our resources and also direct our praying. Mm-hmm. I, I did take a look at the World Watch list for this year, and there are 50 countries that are named there. Uh, and there are some countries that I want to discuss with you a little bit more specifically. But before that, I was just curious, what are some 
broad trends that you've noticed this year? I think the most notable one is the rise in uh, violence against Christians in sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. So, you know, you have this whole area, particularly the Sahel region of, of Africa. You have Nigeria and Mali, Burkina Faso and uh, uh, Niger and all of these countries that there's just an increasing rise in violence against Christians. Nigeria seems to be the epicenter of it, with um, last year between 11 and 14 Christians a day lost their lives Mm. just because they were Christians. And so that trend is really growing, and that is something that is alarming to us. And actually, we have... um, we're doing a special program for the next few years called Arise Africa. And that's a program to mobilize the Western church to pray for our brothers and sisters in, in Africa. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of, the, uh, one of the trends that we're seeing. There's other trends as well, like, you know, the rise in digital persecution, which is something that is um, fairly, fairly new. You know, I mean, we often, you know, didn't think about uh, somebody's cell phone being used against them. So you have places like China where, you know, every cell phone is monitored very closely. And in an area where, in China, where there's, you're just being watched all the time and they have their social uh, social credit system now where you're basically given points if you do things that are pleasing to the government and you are docked points for doing things that are unpleasing to the government. So if the government notices that you are attending church or, um, you know, involved in Christian activities, um, then, you know, you'll lose points, right? And uh, and the, the, the nefarious thing about it is that you can actually gain points by reporting on Christians. <laughs> mm. So, you know, it, 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 it's used and, and you know, um, facial recognition and all of these different things that are, yeah. you know, and, and we're hearing stories about like things where, you know, 10 years ago, people, or a few years ago, even that people were um, doing online because they felt it was safe to do so to access scriptures and Bible study materials. It's coming back to bite them now, you know? Mm. So yeah. we're, we're seeing kind of a move to old school, going back to um, actually, delivering physical copies of the Bible to people. Right. We have two groups going to um, going out this year of our own supporters that are going, and one of the things that they will do when they go is that they will take an allotment of Bibles with them. And so we're still kind of smuggling Bibles into different mm-hmm. countries. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about China uh, in, in due course here, but just as you are mentioning the social credit system and whatnot, immediately I'm thinking, man, what a what a great way to create second class citizenry. That that is so dangerous. Um, now, mm-hmm. one thing that really stands out to me as you're talking about persecution is that there are definitely different kinds and different levels of persecution here. And when what I noticed in the World Watch list is that you actually have. Uh, scores uh, assigned to each country, like they're, you know, um, Mm -hmm. North Korea or China, Cuba, they all have score attached to them. So my question is, how do you tally these points? Yeah. So there, I mean, it, it's a very complicated, um, you know, the methodology is quite complicated. 
there's actually to, to explain our methodology, there's like a hundred page book to explain it, <laughs> mm. <laughs> which we won't go through today. But, you know, it, again, in a nutshell, um, we measure five spheres of life and the level of violence in the country. So, you know, we call it the smash and the squeeze. And oftentimes, you know, when people in Canada, when we think about persecution, our minds automatically go to violence, right? We think of persecution mm -hmm. in terms of violence, but oftentimes it's really the squeeze on people in different areas of their lives that are just squeezing them in, you know, so that they just have no freedoms at all to express their faith personally. And so the, we, we measure, um, you know, the uh, private life, what, what, what is life like in your private life, in your family life, in your community life, in your national life, and in your church life. Because often, sometimes it's, uh, it's traditional Christian religions in the country that will be attacking, you know, evangelical uh, groups or Pentecostal mm -hmm. groups or, you know, different groups like that. And so, uh, they measure, they have a way of measuring, and that's done through, again, uh, research at the desk, but also um, a, a very complex um, questionnaire type thing that is sent out to um, people in the country that are in the know, and not people that are biased in any way, but basically that can take an objective look on what's happening in the country and um, fill out the questionnaire so that we get an idea of what's happening. Mm -hmm. And then all of that is filtered through, you know, the methodology. And then there's also a score given to um, violence in, um, in the country. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned already some different types of persecution, um, like something as new as digital persecution, but there's also violence. Um, what are some other types uh, that you come across? Uh, I'm assuming there's obviously sort of the government persecution on the national level, um, the national but what else level. is there? Yeah, I mean, so on a national level, we often have like uh, communists or dictatorial um, regimes that, you know, like in North Korea, and, and different places where that's the driver of the persecution, right? You know, mm -hmm. and so in some of those cases, it would be, for instance, the government decides that they're going to pass anti-conversion laws. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, as a Christian, you know, we are, we are, we're called to win people to Christ, <laughs> to evangelize. And our brothers mm -hmm. and sisters really feel that calling to do that, you know, in the countries where they are. Oftentimes they're in that in the country. They've had they've had opportunity to leave, but they they won't leave because they don't want the light of the gospel to go out, and they want to be there to be the salt yeah. and light of Jesus. And but when you're in a situation where somebody can accuse you of uh, blasphemy, uh, there's blasphemy laws and anti-conversion laws and all of these things that are, you know, um, springing up in, in some of these countries. And these things are used against Christians. Um, you know, with blasphemy laws, that's a, that's a terrible one because, you know, in a place like Pakistan, if you, um, if you upset your neighbor about something and you're a Christian, they could, they could just allege that you blasphemed the, uh, they can accuse you of blaspheming the prophet Muhammad, and automatically you're 
you're viewed as being guilty and your life becomes very difficult from that moment on. It can be completely untrue, but you know, the accusation seems to be enough sometimes. Right. Um, and, and what, what does some of the, um, and you mentioned the sort of squeeze uh, earlier, the pressure that is put on Christians and churches. Um, now, I understand, I mean, you've, you've already mentioned this kind of squeeze that can come from the government, but are there other different kinds of squeeze, if you will, that comes from perhaps on, on the community level or family or something oh, like yeah. that? For sure. So if you are in one of these countries and you decide that you're going to convert, say, from Hinduism or from um, Islam and convert to Christianity, I mean, immediately um, you're you're going to get pressure from your family, mm. right? If they find out about it, if you happen to tell your your family that, you know, oftentimes they keep it secret because of the repercussions that they'll get but sometimes they're bold enough to let their family know and of course we've heard about honor killings and all of that stuff and that then goes into violence again but um it's just that pressure and the community will ostracize you so you'll be shunned by the community oftentimes you'll even be sent out of the community i was just reading about one uh situation where this girl um she converted to and she was iranian uh she converted to christianity her family found out. Her father actually um, erased her name from all family records, had her name completely mm-hmm. erased. It got so bad for her that she had to flee to another country because the community just came down so hard on her and just ostracized her. Yeah. So there is it, that kind of pressure. There's also, you know, mm-hmm. the pressures of um, just because, you know, in many of the countries, you you carry your you carry your religious affiliation on your um, on your identification, and yeah. and people know you know who you are. So um, it 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 could mean quite often that you are relegated to the most menial jobs in the country. You can forget about ever getting you know um, promotions and uh, and better jobs and so on because those are all reserved for. Uh, people that are non-Christians, you know, it could right. also mean that, you know, your children end up in a substandard school because they won't be admitted into the better schools in the country simply because they're Christians. Mm-hmm. Right. Those are examples of, of the squeeze, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I, th- that's really helpful to hear because especially in a country like Canada, a, a Western country where you have relative sort of uh, independence from your community in some ways compared to some other countries where, you know, okay, well, because I'm thinking, I mean, if we, when we talk about being ostracized by the community, somebody in Canada might think, well, I'll just move to another city or to another place and start anew. Or uh, somebody might say, you know what, so what? Just people say some bad things about me. But it's not like that at all. I mean, it's. It, I mean, it, it gets so bad that you have to flee to another country, or you're relegated to sort of the second class citizenry, uh, where mm-hmm. you you can't get the kinds of jobs that you want. Um, you're kind of constantly stuck in this. There's no social mobility whatsoever, and so I think it's really helpful 
for us to actually get a picture of what that kind of pressure, social pressure is like. Now, um, I want to turn our conversation now to some specific countries that are mentioned on the watch list. There are, are all 50 of them, and obviously we won't be able to go through all of them, but there are some that stood out to me for one reason or another, and one of them was Nicaragua. Yeah. So tell our listeners why Nicaragua. They're in Nicaragua, and it's come into the World Watch list for the first time, right? So it, uh, mm-hmm. it, it and the situation there is a, um, I, a I would call it dictatorial paranoia by um, uh, the Nortega government. Um, they see the church as a threat to them. Mm. Um, and so they, for many, for, for a long time, it was just kind of, uh, behind the scenes, you know, like that they, we knew that they were intolerant of, uh, the church, but now it's just, it's just open, you know, they're just open about it and they are doing everything they can to, to um, smash the life of the church in in the country because they see the church as a threat to to their own agenda. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I understand that in Nicaragua um, they are kind of taking after Cuba. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, similar kind of thing where the church is being you know again seen as a threat, um, especially you know you have like a more high profile leaders, pastors, church leaders, and so on, that uh, speak out against some of the policies of the government and so on. And of course, they're threatened by that. On the one hand, it's kind of sad that the government is coming after them. But on the other hand, it almost seems like a backhanded compliment to the church that the church can have that kind of influence to the point where the government actually feels threatened by that. And I think in a kind of a roundabout way, I think uh, that speaks to the the vitality of the faith of the church in Nicaragua and in places like Cuba as well. One of the things that stood out to me is that often when I look at a list like this, there are so many sub-Saharan African countries or uh, Islam-majority countries or, or these sort of, you know, the communist countries that, that you might find. But then you know, like I wouldn't have expected to see countries in, say, in the Latin America areas where you would think, you know, Christianity has always historically had this sort of a presence and people would be generally tolerant of Christians, if not outright celebrated. But that's mm-hmm. not always the case either, because you have cases like Nicaragua, there's Cuba. And I've seen other countries mentioned like Colombia. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if Colombia was actually on the list. I think it was. Colombia and Mexico. Yeah. Right. People are surprised by that because mm-hmm. they consider those countries, um, you know, certainly not Islamic countries or Hindu countries. We consider them Christian countries, right? You know, right. Um, and, you know, Catholicism has been very strong there over the years and so on. But the situation in Colombia and um and Mexico is more, again, in the rural areas. People will, you know, talk to us and say, well, I've been to that country and I've been to this big church there and everything looks just wonderful and everything. Well, that's just it. You were in the city. You're probably in a tourist city and so on. And you went to a church. Usually there's nothing too threatening there. But when you get into rural areas 
and then you have indigenous people that are Christians and so on. And then you have the element of the cartels that right. are there. So the cartels are the ones that see the church as, you know, the church is preaching this moral high ground and uh, trying to keep their young people away from uh, all that stuff. And they are seen, the church is seen as a threat in the area because of what they're preaching and, and, and so on. They would like to recruit these young people, right, into... Right cartel and uh yeah so that's where the pers- and, persecution comes from mostly in hmm. in these latin american countries that you're speaking of yeah and I've, i remember watching a documentary just the other day actually on mexico and uh and there that kind of recruitment that you mentioned they do it quite openly uh because Absolutely. a lot of young, young people you know they uh, are flocking to the cities to find jobs because of various economic factors and they can't really find jobs unemployment runs high and so then they're thinking okay well what else can i do looks like these cartel guys they make good money they have power they have everything the that i want everything right yeah and so it's it's the, interestingly enough these cartel um, bosses or whatever they they have this kind of cultural influence where if they're seen wearing a particular kind of shirt, for example, that shirt will be selling like hotcake for the next little while. So, I mean, <laughs> all, all that to say, I've seen that these cartels, they actually like advertise openly, hey, we're recruiting, we'll provide for your family and you'll have, we promise you wealth and health and everything. So come join us kind of a thing, mm-hmm. uh, which you wouldn't really expect a criminal uh, gang to be that open about recruitment. Um, right. And so, yeah, really interesting kind of a cultural setting there. Right. So you go into the, you know, into the rural areas, and that's where a lot of them are recruited from. Right. And then you have a pastor who has a church in an area and, you know, is uh, trying to preach the gospel and mm-hmm. have people live in a godly way. And he's seen as a threat. Right. I mean, you know, oftentimes they're pastors, children have to be sent away for schooling because it's so dangerous for them to live at right. home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, now there are some others uh, that stood out to me. One is India. It, it seems like there has been this rise in Hindu nationalism uh, as of late. And so I suspect that that is playing a part. So what, what is it like on the ground uh, for the church in India? India has risen. I mean, so fast on the world watch list since 2014 and 2014 is the year that the modi government were elected and the modi government are the hindu nationalist party and um you know i think they had a goal their goal i i heard before was in by 2021 that um india would be fully hindu actually converted back to hinduism you know, their mantra is uh, to be Indian is to be Hindu. Mm-hmm. That's that's their belief. That's what their thought is. I mean, many of the Christian uh, organizations, relief organizations, um, uh, Compassion International, different ones, have, they've all pulled out of India in the last few years mm-hmm. because it's just been so hard for them to exist there as a Western uh, NGO. 
because basically they're not welcome anymore. They don't want their aid. So, you know, when Compassion left, it was, uh, I think, uh, um, quarter of a million children lost their support mm-hmm. simply because, you know, they just couldn't function anymore in the country. And, mm-hmm. um, and you know, oftentimes when we talk about these things, it's extremism. In India, we have the Hindu extremists that run unchecked by the government. It's like if they do something to squash anything of Christianity, it's almost celebrated. It's they they won't be charged for it. They there would be no ramifications for them. It's just uh, they're allowed to just uh, run over the church basically in in India. And so you know you have things like uh, Manipur state, you know, where we saw so much violence against Christians in this past year, and um, regularly, you know, you you will see. Uh, pastors who are uh, paraded. I was there back in 2017 and, you know, um, had met with this one person. They shaved one side of his head, his eyebrows, everything all on one side. I don't know what the significance of that was, of just doing one side, and then, you know, stripped him and, and paraded him around the community just to kind of um, humiliate him, you know. Right. So, have all those kinds of things. And so that kind of thing has been has been happening. And this is a, you know, a democratic country. This is the largest democratic country in the world. Now, we did see some good news out of India this uh, past little while, where in one state, that government was actually voted out. And another, you know, another party won power in that state. And that party is more sympathetic to religious freedoms and so on, you know. Mm. but. Yeah. 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 And I also heard that there is some, in some cases, there is tribalism that takes place as well. Um, that, that, you know, and one tribe happens to be Hindu and another tribe happens to be Christians. And there's conflict that can happen on that level as well. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, in terms of, now let's move a little farther east. Um, the two countries that always have stood out to me, probably because of my background as well. I was telling you earlier before we started recording that I'm originally from South Korea. So I have always been interested in countries like China and North Korea. So let's take them in turn. Um, China, you've kind of told us a little bit about that. Uh, what What's going on there? Why, why is China ranking so high on the World Watch list? And so last year, I think there was a, I think there was a hundred churches closed in China. Many of them were because they were, um, they were closed down for COVID but then they weren't granted permission to open again. In China, many years they've had what they call house churches. Now, some of these house churches can be like a thousand or two thousand people. Yeah. What we think about yeah. when we think about, and they kind of operated in this legal gray zone, you know, where they were just mm-hmm. tolerated. But since COVID, now you know they've been really uh, clamping down on these churches, and and a lot of them were just not given permission to start up again. Um, you know, in, in China, it's illegal for a person under the age of 18 to enter a, a church service. Mm. And um, 
Yeah. So again, you know, uh, the the number of Christ, the number of people in the Chinese Communist Party that hold, you know, uh, membership in the party is it like a hundred million or something like that, or I forget what it is now. It's, it, anyway, the the number of Christians exceed the number of people that are in the communist that have membership in the Communist Party. So again, you can see why the why the Chinese government would look at that as a threat. Right. Yeah. yeah. And in, in the case of uh, countries like China and North Korea, too, I understand that Christianity is seen as a Western influence. So it, yeah. it gets tied to the notion of Western colonialism, imperialism, and what have you. And of course, given the, the sort of the political friction that you find between, say, China and the United States, for example, mm-hmm. and of course, Christianity would be seen as kind of would be seen as part and parcel with uh, everything Western, and so then the government would react in that way. And I can can see that happening, even though ironically, Christianity arrived in China um, years ago. Uh, you know, I, I I myself, like I said, I'm from South Korea, and in Korea, the uh, the history of Christianity is actually fairly short. I mean, it was uh, late 1800s that uh, mm. Christianity first entered the peninsula. But China had missionaries come uh, from the Middle East as early as I think seventh century or something like that. So it's it's ironic that it is seen as a as a sort of a Western European or American thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, China. Um, I think we forget just how big China is. So when we hear of house churches, you know, we we might think just that maybe a a group of two or three families, but no, we're talking thousands of people. Does it does it also depend on what part of China you're in, or is this a pretty kind of a widespread thing all across the board? Christians are persecuted. Yeah, the policies are are widespread. I mean, they're for all of China, and so. Um, but again, you know, a lot of times, um, it's the more rural areas that see the worst of right. persecution. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but generally okay. speaking, it's the policies are for everyone. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know what? What stands out to me as you're talk discussing. Uh, China and how Christians are persecuted there. Even just the, especially me, you know, having lived in Canada for some 30 years now, even the idea of a church requiring the communist parties, the government's permission to, you know, open or, you know, reopen after COVID and those kinds of things. It's, it's not something that I'm quite used to. I guess it just speaks to the dynamic between politics and the church there. But uh, the number one country on the world watch list, to nobody's surprise, whoever is kind of interested in this, the persecuted churches around the world, of course, it's North Korea. So tell us a little bit about what's going on there. Well, um, North Korea has been number one, by the way, since 2002. 
except for one year in 2022, they switched places with uh, Afghanistan. And so Mm -hmm. they became number two, Afghanistan became number one. And that's all because of that year was the year that the Taliban took over and all of the uh, implications of that for Christians and what happened to Christians Mm -hmm. during that time. Um, You know, they were going house to house and, you know, finding out who the Christians were and letting them know that they knew where they were. And so there was a lot of pressure against Christians that year in Afghanistan. And so they were just a couple of points off, by the way, but um, they did come into first place. But every other year since 2002, North Korea has been number one place where it's absolutely illegal to be a Christian. It's illegal to own a Bible. If you're caught with a Bible, it's quite likely that you and your whole family uh, will be sent to a brutal labor camp, and you will languish in that labor camp with starvation, you know, just uh, the hard work and so on. Not a happy place at all. Um, You know, people, if they, the people that have Bibles there, a lot of them will take them and they'll bury them in the ground and they'll have to dig them up, you know, just to, to read scriptures mm-hmm. and uh, they do that. One thing that I think struck me, I, I was in the UK a little while, um, couple of years ago, and I met with um, a believer who came from North Korea who had gotten out of the country. And she talked about how everything there, even as you're growing up, everything is propaganda. Everything you learn, there's no option of not going to school. So in school, you're just brainwashed to think that the state is more important than anything else in your life, even your own family, even your own parents. And so she talks about, you know, how one day she was rummaging through a closet in her house and she found a Bible. And immediately she was so conflicted because she loved her parents, but yet yet in her mind, the absolute right thing to do would be to report them to the authorities. Thankfully, she didn't do that. She went and she talked to them about it, and they sat her down and and explained to her, you know, that they were Christians and um, explained to her the gospel. Ultimately, she became a believer. But the mm-hmm. the thing that struck me about that is that there are there are the Christians in North Korea. It's so dangerous that they can't even share that with the children in their own home. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we take it for granted, right? You know, you raise your kids, you can send them to Christian school, you can homeschool them if you want, you can, you know, do devotions with them. You want them to hear that right from the get-go. You know, you want them to hear the gospel and the love of Jesus. In North Korea, you don't have that luxury to even tell your children because it's so dangerous for them to have that information. And so they wait until they feel that these children are old enough and mature enough to be able to handle that kind of information, and hopefully that they will not, you know, turn you in. Mm-hmm. And that was really striking to me. Yeah, it, it is. I, I uh, again, because of my background, I, I take a great deal of interest in what's going on in, in North Korea and what the North Korean regime is doing. There is also um, this... TV show that I watch on, you know, somewhat regularly in Korea, there's this show where they gather together a group of defectors from North Korea, uh, people who have now been released into the South Korean society. Because there's, once they defect, there is a period of 
they first go through the intelligence agency, national security agency. And then there is a period of, you know, learning to live in South Korea because it's so different from in North Korea. Even simple things like, you know, how do you take a bus or or things like that, right? Mm -hmm. So there is a period of sort of a, you know, a tutorial on how to live in South Korea. And once they're released, you know, of course, you know, they can go and do whatever they want. Um, And so I I watched... uh, that particular show on a regular basis. And what's really interesting is not only is there this sort of, um, like I mentioned earlier, this idea that Christianity uh, being linked to all things Western. So there's this Western, especially American influence coming into North Korea. We don't want that. We got to shut that off. And But at the same time, there's another element of it where the Kim family the dynasty that is the Kim family now, um, there has been a project of deification of the Kims in the mm-hmm. regime. And so it, some of the defectors were saying that just as in South Korea, especially Christians, we you know they say grace before they have a meal. Mm-hmm. We did the same thing, they said, but we said grace to the Kim family. Right. And then there are also yeah. all kinds of legends and myths that are associated with the things that the previous Kims have accomplished, things seemingly as absurd as, okay, uh, the first Kim, you know, when he was fighting for the independence of Korea from Japanese colonial rule, like he used, he magically turned pine cones into bullets and that's how we fought. Even things like that are being yeah. kind of built around the Kim family and their devotion to the Kims is just something else, or at least that that's what's enforced, right? So if your house is on fire, um, before you save your children, the first thing you have to save from your home is the portraits of the two previous Kims. If you don't save that first, even if you save your children and you let that burn, you're heading to labor camps and whatnot. So it's a completely yeah. different world and that's that's how it's just ingrained in them and you can see how that young girl would have, would be so conflicted about yeah. what to do with this bible that she found in her house mm-hmm. yeah. yeah very very interesting um our time is coming to a close here but i, I just really wanted to ask you a, a couple more questions here the first thing is how can we use the world watch list? I mean, it, it's it's a good informational resource, but is that all it is? Or is there something more that we can do as the church in Canada? Well, we've designed our world watch list. Every country does it differently, but we purposely designed it and we call it a prayer guide. Mm. So, you know, um, if you get a physical copy, you can download a, a digital copy, obviously. Go to our website, opendoorscanada.org, and you can download a digital copy. And basically, it's downloading the prayer guide for the World Watch List. And so every country is listed there. And uh, it'll tell you a little bit about the country, the name of the leader, all those kinds of details. It'll tell you what the persecution looks like in that country, and then it will actually give you prayer points. So we're hoping that people will use it, not just like you said, for information's sake, but as a tool to pray for persecuted Christians. Mm -hmm. Great. Awesome. Uh, And you've already kind of 
mentioned this already, but if people want to learn more about the work of Open Doors Canada and to support the work that you're doing, where would you send them? I would send them to the website, opendoorscanada.org. And uh, there's just a wealth of information, just so much, uh, so many, so much material, so many resources that people can use to pray. And if God moves on your heart to give, uh, that would be amazing as well. Yeah. And are you guys on social media as well? Yeah. Listeners, please take a few minutes out of your day. Check out opendoorscanada.org and follow them on social media. See what's going on around the world to God's saints and have that bit of, again, like I said, a bit of a broader view of the church around the world uh, and be prayerful in that way. Gary, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy day to join us to enlighten our listeners. This has been a, a fun, fantastic conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners, for this week's edition of the AC Podcast. The AC Podcast is a ministry of Apologetics Canada, and we'll come back next week with more stuff to think about. Until then, you know the drill. Love God. Love people. Bye for now. It's the AC Podcast. Podcast.